Well, last fall on a Sunday night, we hosted an event for students and parents where we talked about what the Bible had to say about sex and sexuality. And so Pastor Brandon and Jennifer, knowing this event was coming, that this night was coming, they wanted to talk about some things we would be discussing beforehand with their son, their youngest son, Xander. And so they're talking about the birds and the bees and they're explaining some terms and all this kinds of, all these kinds of things, you know, and they're, they're saying we're going to have canes for dinner and then explaining some of these concepts and terms and, and all those kinds of things. Brandon said it was a great talk, just a great dad moment where he was saying all the right things and thinking that this was a super powerful moment and just real and serious with his son, Xander. And he asked Xander, he said, Hey buddy, do you have any questions? And, and Xander said, so we're eating canes tonight. Is that, we're, we're going to get canes. It's his favorite food. He loves canes. One of the most epic stories I've ever heard of missing the point right? It's one of the most epic ones I've ever heard. And the question I have for us this morning is, are we missing the point? We saw it last week. We're going to see it again this week that Jesus has these run-ins with this group called the Pharisees, where he reveals to them, you're, you're missing it. You're missing the point. And I wonder if some of us are missing the point. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter six. We've made our way to Luke chapter six in our verse by verse study of the gospel of Luke. So like 18 chapters left, right? We're racing right through this thing. Not really, but we're taking our time going verse by verse through the gospel of Luke. And we study the, 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 the scripture verse by verse here at the city church, because we just believe that studying the scripture verse by verse produces, it develops a deeper sense of faith and trust and love and worship and, and mission. And so we're not just studying the gospel of Luke in here. We're studying it in our small groups, our city groups. I want to invite you to join a city group. You can find a group for you on our app under city groups. You can even start a group for you and your family, your friends. We're gonna study the gospel of Luke, these verses in our daily devotionals this week, Monday through Friday, we publish daily devotionals on our app under the Bible study tab that are gonna break down these same verses. We want you to study the gospel of Luke as a family. Right now, your kids, our students in sixth through 12th grade are studying these same verses. And we provide the table talk under the Bible study app for parents to help guide a conversation around these same verses. And so we want to invite you to study the gospel of Luke with your family. I hope you can see, if you've been here for very long, if you're new here, I, I hope you're going to see very quickly that we are not about just going through the routine of church, playing the church game, checking off that box. No, we're about becoming disciples of Jesus that make disciples of Jesus. I say in our membership lunches, almost every time we meet, when people are choosing to join our church, we take them through a class and, and break down all of our theology and beliefs and values and things like that. And I, I say in that, that class that we are biblically serious. We seek to be spiritually alive and we are zealously missional. Biblically serious, we're gonna study the scripture. We're gonna know God's word. We're going to seek to be spiritually alive as we pray for God to fill us with his Holy Spirit. We, won't, we don't want just dead orthodoxy. We're not here just for knowledge sake. No, we're here for transformation. And so we wanna be spiritually alive and then zealously missional because all disciples go and make disciples and serve and bless people in Jesus' name. So we're seeking to be disciples that, that make 
disciples, not just playing church. Our hope in this series, the Gospel of Luke, is that you will be drawn up to Jesus. So much in our culture, in our society, is trying to pull us to the left or to the right, specifically politically. And our prayer in this study of the Gospel of Luke is that we will be drawn up to Jesus, to the heart of Jesus. We, we see this same idea, the same concept, these same pictures in Jesus's confrontation with the Pharisees. We, we've said this for the last few weeks that the, the Pharisees are politically conservative. They're, they're staunchly conservative politically, yet at the exact same time, religiously, spiritually, they are very liberal or progressive, you might say, in that they have elevated at this day and this time in Jesus's day, they have elevated what they called their own oral law their own traditions. They had elevated their own oral law, their own thoughts and ideas and opinions. They had even written them down and they had elevated those words, their oral law to the level of scripture. They held their own thoughts and ideas and traditions to be just as authoritative as scripture. So politically conservative, but in the sense that they would elevate their own oral law to that of scripture, they are religiously or spiritually liberal or progressive. And so I said throughout this series that as we see Jesus interact with the Pharisees and speak to them and confront them, he's always speaking to and confronting you and me at the exact same time. No matter where you find yourself on the aisle, to the left or to the right, Jesus is always speaking to us. He's confronting us as he confronts the disciples who are both progressive and conservative all at the same time. I don't know about you, if you've noticed this, but everyone seems to have their own Jesus, right? Have you noticed this? Well, well my Jesus is like this. And, and maybe your Jesus is like that, but, but my Jesus is like this, right? I mean, every conservative has their own Jesus and every progressive or liberal has their own version of Jesus. My Jesus would do this, he would never do this. My Jesus would say this, he would never say that. My Jesus, my Jesus. Maybe my Jesus is a warrior and he's a truth teller and he is super exclusive, maybe your Jesus is inclusive and loving and kind and caring and would never upset anyone. Listen, your Jesus is an incomplete picture of Jesus. It just is. No matter what you say, my Jesus is this and my Jesus is that. It's probably an incomplete picture of Jesus. That's why we've been studying the gospel of Luke verse by verse is to get a complete picture of Jesus. Not, not my Jesus, but, but the real Jesus. Because when we begin to say, well, my Jesus would do this, he would never do this. You're talking about a fake Jesus that doesn't exist. And so that's why it's critical that we get to know the real Jesus. We get the complete picture of Jesus. That's why it's so important to study the scripture verse by verse, to get the full picture of Jesus. All right, let's dive in. We're in Luke chapter six. Jesus has already begun his ministry of preaching and miracles. Last week, we saw him confront the Pharisees on their view of fasting and what the heart of fasting was. We saw Jesus talk about the old and the new covenants. And now we're gonna see Jesus and the Pharisees like round six, all right? So let's ding in the bell. Round six, chapter six, verse one. One Sabbath day, 
as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples broke off some heads of grain, rubbed the, the husks in their hands, and then they ate the grain. But some Pharisees said, why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Why are you breaking the law? My guess is, is we don't have any like Smurf scholars in the room, okay? But I did some studying on the Smurfs this past week. And here's what I found. That nosy Smurf made his debut in the early 80s. But he was never really used that often until a new Smurfs movie came out within the last five years or so and Nosy Smurf arrived back on the scene. And my wife, Darby and I, we love Nosy Smurf because everywhere he goes, he's always doing this. Hmm, what's going on over here? And he's looking around and he's trying to figure out what's going on. He's called Nosy Smurf. And it, when I read this this week, I was like, they're Nosy Smurfs. That's who these Pharisees are. They're actually following Jesus and his disciples around, watching them eat. It's like, bro, back off. It's getting a little weird, okay? Give us some space. But the disciples and Jesus, they're walking through this grain field. They're, they're plucking the heads of grain. They're, they're rubbing off the husk. They're, they're eating because they're hungry. And the Pharisees are following them and saying, what are you doing? And Jesus, I love this, says, we're eating. What do you mean? What are we doing? We're just eating. But the Pharisees accused Jesus and his disciples specifically, they accused them of working on the Sabbath here and therefore breaking the law. This is how backwards and crazy the oral law of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had gotten. That to pluck a head of grain to eat because you were hungry was harvesting grain and therefore working on the harvest and breaking Sabbath law. But Jesus says, we're, we're just eating. You see how the traditions of men, the ideas of, of men can get so backwards the Sabbath had become a burden to the people. It wasn't a day of rest anymore. It was a burden. Why? Well, rules tend to get pretty burdensome. And so the Sabbath day was supposed to be a day of rest, but it's actually turned into a day of work because of all the rules the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had heaped onto all these extra biblical traditions that the Pharisees had heaped onto the law of God. And so the Sabbath in the heart and design of God was to be a day of rest and flourishing and joy. It was actually now a day of work because of all these extra rules. Verse three. Jesus replied, here's how he confronts the Pharisees with their ideas and traditions. He says this, I love this. Haven't you read the scriptures? What, what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests can eat. He also gave some to his companions. And Jesus added this, the son of man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. So when the Pharisees are confronting Jesus with their own oral law, with their own ideas, with their own traditions, with, with their truth, don't miss this. When the Pharisees are confronting Jesus with their way and their truth, what does Jesus say? Well, that's not the way. Your way is not the way. And then I love this. Haven't you read the scriptures? You, it's like he's saying, you guys are supposed to be Bible scholars and you don't know the scriptures. Haven't you read? 
Jesus explains here from 1 Samuel, using the word of God to explain that why what they are saying and what they are believing isn't right. Now you gotta catch this. Jesus isn't just saying, hey, this is my way and this is a way. No, Jesus is your interpretation of the scripture. Your own ideas and thoughts and opinions, the oral law that you've come up with are, are not a way, it's not a truth, it's wrong. You've missed it. You've missed it. Because you haven't been studying the scripture, you've been more committed to your own ways and thoughts and ideas than you have been to the scripture. And then, then, and then secondly, you've totally missed it. You've missed the point of Sabbath law. You've totally missed it. Haven't you, haven't you read, Jesus says? And he quotes from 1 Samuel. In other gospel accounts, he not only quotes from 1 Samuel of this exact same situation, like in Mark and Matthew, Jesus will refer to or quote also from Hosea, Numbers, and Genesis. So in this one scenario, Jesus, in all the gospel accounts that we have about this scene that's unfolding, quotes from 1 Samuel, Hosea, Numbers, and Genesis. Now don't miss this. Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament scriptures. What does that mean? That means the Old Testament scriptures are the word of God. Jesus as God in the flesh, proving it by rising from the graves. I said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one gets to heaven except through me. Jesus would make no mistake, claim to be God. In fact, he even says it here, the son of man, which is how he referred to himself. He said, is Lord. He's saying, I am God. And so as God, he speaks, he quotes from the Old Testament and says, this is authoritative. This is the word of God. He, he quotes from the scriptures to show how what the Pharisees are saying and believing isn't right. And in doing so gives authority to the Old Testament. Now at the city church, we have what's called the city seven. The, the city seven are seven foundational truths that tell us what we believe in and why we believe it. And we cover one of these truths each week in, in here in all of our classes in our, our groups, our table talk, we, we cover one truth a week. This week's City 7 truth is City 7 number 6. And it says this, is the Bible God's word? Right? Big question, is the Bible God's word? Well, first of all, Jesus proved that he's God by rising from the dead. And then here's what he said. The Old Testament was God's word. We just saw that in him quoting from 1 Samuel. The Old Testament was God's word. And then he gave authority to the apostles alone to write the words of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that all the words of the Bible are God's word. Jesus told the apostles, go read John chapter 14 through chapter 17. He says, the Holy Spirit's gonna lead you into all truth. The Holy Spirit's gonna remind you of the things that I've said. And then Jesus says, my words will never pass away. In other words, my people will always have my words because the Holy Spirit is gonna lead you and guide you apostles into all truth and remind you of all the things that I've said. And so that my people will always have my word. My words will never pass away, Jesus said. So the Bible, all the words of the Bible are God's word. Jesus quoted from the Old Testament and then he gave the apostles the authority to write the words of the New Testament. And then we see in the scripture that the scripture says about the scripture, it's closed. No one gets to add to it. No one gets to take away from it. All throughout the Old Testament, we see God saying about his own word, do not add to this and do not take away from it. 
In fact, at the very end of the book, right? Go read the last chapter in Revelation. And some of the last words you're gonna read in the book of Revelation, Jesus says this, do not add to my words, do not take away from my words. If you do, you will experience the curses written about in this book. If you add to it, if you take away from it, your life is going to be ruined. So here's what we believe about this truth. We believe that the canon of scripture is closed. What that means is, is we don't add to the word of God. We don't take away from the word of God. The canon of scripture is closed. We have God's word here in the Old and New Testament. So we don't ever do what the Pharisees begin to do and begin to elevate our own thoughts and ideas, our own ways, our own truths to the level or to the authority of scripture. So Jesus quotes from the word of God. He says, what you're saying, what you're believing isn't right. You, you've missed it and you've missed it because these Pharisees, these religious leaders had elevated their own ideas and interpretations to that of scripture. And Jesus would say to the Pharisees, you know the traditions of men, your own oral law, better than you do the scriptures. He would say this to them often, like, you're more committed to your own oral law, your own ideas, thoughts, and opinions, your own ways than you are to my, you know them better than you know my ways and that you know my word. And so you gotta catch this, when there's controversy between the word of God and the ideas of men, here's what Jesus is saying, sola scriptura. Sola scriptura, it's Latin for scripture alone. It was one of the great truths that came out of the Protestant Reformation. It was one of the five main points of theology that came out of the Protestant Reformation. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. When there's a controversy between the ideas of men and the word of God, Jesus, what does he say? Have you not read? Remember probably a couple months ago when we saw the, 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 the controversy between Satan and Jesus and Satan's trying to tempt Jesus. You remember what Jesus said over and over and over and over again? What did he say? It is written. It is written. Have you not read? Have you not read? It is written. It is written. You see, when, when there's a controversy between the ideas of man our truths, our ways, and God's way and his truth, Jesus says, sola scriptura. Jesus says, scripture alone is our authority. So we submit our ideas, thoughts, and opinions, and ways, and truth. We submit those to the way, the truth, and the life. Because it's scripture alone. That's my authority. Scripture Alone. So in the face of an errant view of the Bible, an error view in God, an errant view of his law, Jesus says it is written, have you not read? Remember what we said about the Pharisees? Conservative in one sense and progressive in another sense. I think Jesus would say to the conservative, have you not read? I think Jesus would say to the progressive, to the liberal, have, have you not read? You, you might have an incomplete picture of who I am. You might be missing it. You might be missing the point. Have you not read? And then Jesus says this. He makes an incredible claim. He says, the son of man, we said this last couple of weeks, it was his favorite designation of himself, the son of man. He's referring to Daniel chapter seven, when Daniel has a vision 
and sees this rock coming out of the clouds. And, and he says this, this rock that's coming out of the clouds, it had an appearance of one like a son of man. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm that son of man. I'm the rock that came down from heaven out of the clouds to earth. I'm that son of man. And Jesus says this, the son of man is Lord. He says, I'm God. The son of man is, is Lord. Jesus would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. The father and I are one. Jesus made it very clear that he believed that he was God in the flesh. And so Jesus says, the son of man, I'm Lord. And then he says this, not only I'm, I'm Lord, I'm Lord even over the Sabbath. So Jesus has the authority not only to interpret Sabbath law, but also to dictate Sabbath law. Here's what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees. He's saying, listen, you've missed the point. And, and, and here's how I know you missed the point, because I was the one who gave Moses the Sabbath law in the first place. That's how I know you missed the point, because I'm the lawgiver. Jesus is saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I am the Sabbath law giver. I'm the law giver. When Jesus speaks, he's saying, I, I speak the words of God. I have the authority to dictate Sabbath law. Let's keep going. Verse six, on another Sabbath day, a man with a deformed hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees Watch Jesus closely. Here we go again. Here's these nosy Smurfs, right? Always watching Jesus. Okay, got to watch Jesus and make sure he, he's doing the right thing. Okay, if he healed the man's hand, look, watch again how they've gotten things so backwards here. If, they, if he healed the man's hand, they plan to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew their thoughts. He said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. And so the man came forward. And then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? He looked around. He looked at them one by one. And then he said to the man, hold out your hand. And so the man held out his hand and it was restored. And at this, the enemies of Jesus, watch this, were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. Oh, my Jesus would never say anything to offend anyone. Uh, that's a fake Jesus. You don't, you don't have the real Jesus, okay? When we read through the scripture, Jesus speaks and some people love him and some people hate him so bad they wanted to kill him. Maybe you have an incomplete picture or version of Jesus, my Jesus, he would always follow the letter of the law. My Jesus would never even think about breaking the law. We've already seen two instances where Jesus is breaking the laws of men, not of his own word, but breaking the laws of men to show that you're missing the point. I have Compassion and mercy. What, what, what's the purpose of these laws? We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna see, how, how are they missing the point of the laws and the commands of God? Some theologians have said that the Pharisees may have planted this man in the crowd. 
It's definitely something they would have done. We, we don't know that that's what happened, but it does sound like, it does kind of keep in step with the spirit and the workings of the Pharisees. So maybe they did. Maybe they planted this man in the crowd, knowing that Jesus would have compassion on this man. Maybe they were setting a trap to take advantage of his compassion. Regardless, here's what's wild. Jesus, it says, knows what they are thinking. He knows their thoughts. It reminded me of the first Ghostbusters movie, right? Where, where they're all trying to clear their minds at the end because they don't want their, the, the, the evil enemy or whatever to, to know their thoughts and then create this, this monster. And it's Dan Aykroyd's character. He's trying not to think of anything and he's trying to clear his mind. And what does he think of? Stay puff marshmallow man. And all of a sudden his thoughts came into existence. What he was thinking became a reality. And so I, had, I have to think that the Pharisees began to pick up on the fact that Jesus knew what they were thinking and they had to be thinking in some of these, clear your mind, clear your mind. Don't let him know what you're thinking, okay? But, but Jesus knows what, knows what they're thinking. And so he brings this man up with this deformed hand in front of everyone. And you gotta understand what's going on here. This man probably thought that Jesus was bringing him up to judge him. See, if you've been with us through this study of Luke, you know that to be sick or lame or deformed in any way, to suffer in any way in this day meant that you had sinned or your parents had sinned. And so this man with this deformed hand is being brought up in front of the whole congregation at the synagogue. He must be expecting that Jesus is about to judge him and embarrass him and call out and bring out all of his sin as to the reason why this man has a deformed hand. That's not what Jesus does at all, right? He doesn't take the opportunity to pounce not trying to embarrass anyone. He's not judging anyone. He brings this man up, he performs this miracle and he asks this question. And this whole scene that's unfolding is turning their private thoughts into a topic of public ref reflection to engage them on how they view spirituality. Spirituality about outward action and rule keeping? Or is it about inward love, compassion, and mercy? Jesus asked a question, is it, is it right to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? Is it right to save a life or to destroy life on the Sabbath? Their answer should have been, let's do good, let's save. Let's heal. Should have been their answer. This would not have violated the Old Testament law. However, it would violate their own extra biblical Pharisaic tradition. It would violate their oral law. But what Jesus is asking here and what Jesus is doing here would not violate, it would not break the Mosaic law. So you got to catch this. Here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus in this moment is explaining the heart of the commands of God. He's explaining the point. He's saying, you've missed the point. You've missed the point of the commands of God. You've missed the heart of God. The heart of God is to rescue. It's to save. 
You see, in both of these challenges from the Pharisees about the Sabbath, Jesus' analysis is the same. Their extra biblical rules and regulations have missed the purposes of God for the Sabbath. The purposes of God for the Sabbath are to save. It's about the restoration of human beings in the presence of God and the acknowledgement that God is the provider and sustainer of all things. The point of the Sabbath, Jesus is saying, is not to be an oppressive command. Now Jesus is saying the point of the Sabbath is about your rest, your joy, your flourishing. That is the heart of God in the commands of God. It's always about your rest. It's always about your joy. It's always about your flourishing. Jesus would say in other accounts, in Matthew and Mark of the same scene, Jesus would say it like this, the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. That's the heart of God in the commands of God in all the commands of God. These commands, these, these laws, God's ways are for you. you. You don't exist for them. They exist for you. And when we begin to view God's ways and God's laws and the truth of God, as being something that's not for us. That, that, that it's not about our best, it's not about our joy, it's not about our, our flirt. We're beginning to miss the point of the commands of the truth of God. So, so to make sure we don't, we don't miss the point, we gotta we got establish two things, two takeaways. Number one is this from these passages. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus said, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the giver of Sabbath law and therefore all of the Mosaic law, all of the laws of God. I am the law giver. I am the word of God. John chapter one would say it like this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word was with God in the beginning. And then John would go on to say later, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So John is talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was Jesus. Jesus has always existed. And, and Jesus was with God. And John says, and Jesus was God. And then Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The scripture makes it clear. Jesus is the word of God. And so when Jesus speaks, he speaks as God. Jesus would say this in John chapter 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. Jesus speaking as God says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Not a truth and not a way. It's not even his truth in his way. Jesus is making an absolute statement here saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so you submit your way and your truth to the way and the truth because Jesus is the word of God. The Pharisees would disregard this truth. They have the word of God standing right in front of him, but they refuse to consider the evidence of the miracles. They would refuse to consider the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. They would refuse in their pride to consider that they might be wrong. 
And so they miss it. They miss God. They miss their own Messiah. They, they miss it because in their pride and arrogance, they don't have the humility to be able to say, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe my way and my truth, maybe it's wrong. And because they don't have the humility to even consider that with the word of God standing right in front of them, speaking to them, performing miracles, their posture, their approach to Jesus causes them to not only miss out on God's word, but their own Messiah, their posture, their approach ends up being a curse to them. Because in their pride and arrogance, they don't even stop to consider, maybe we've gotten it wrong. Maybe we've missed the point. You see, here's what you've got to understand. It's a right heart that ends up submitting to the right authority. It's a right heart that ends up submitting to the right authority, a, a heart, a humble heart that says, maybe, maybe I've gotten it wrong. Maybe my way and my truth isn't right. Maybe I should submit my way and my truth to the way and the truth. Maybe I should submit my life to the life, to Jesus. You see that humble heart, a right heart, will submit to the right authority. They will submit their way, their truth, to the truth, to the way. And maybe some of you need to do that for the very first time today. You've never made that decision before to give your life to Jesus, to submit your life to his life. What I want you to know today is you're here for a reason. You're, you're listening to this online for a reason. God wanted you to know that he loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to this earth. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us so that he might go and die on a cross to pay the fine for your sin and my sin because we are lawbreakers in the eyes of God. We broke the law of God. And in the same way, when you break man's law, you pay man's fine. When you break God's law, you pay God's fine. And God's fine for sin, Jesus says, is eternity separated from him in a place called hell. That's why Jesus said, I... I didn't come to condemn you. I didn't come to judge you because you stand condemned already. You stand condemned before God because of your sin. So I came to save you. And in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave three days later, he conquers sin. He conquers death itself to rescue you from your sin. And so the Bible says when you give your life to Jesus, when you submit your life to the life to Jesus, your sin is completely forgiven. You're made right with God and you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. When you submit your life to Jesus's life. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, today is your day. Now is your time. Jump on our app, fill out our connect form and let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus today. First takeaway is Jesus is the word of God. Second takeaway is this, Jesus interprets the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus interprets the word of God. Jesus says with the scripture, here is where you've missed it. Here's where you've gotten it wrong. Here's where you've missed the point. Jesus interprets the word of God. Both of these controversies reveal one thing, that it's a right heart that produces the right interpretation and the right action. 
Both of these controversies reveal that it's a right heart that produces right interpretation and right action. That's why God is after your heart. Scripture tells us over and over and over again, God is looking past the outward show, out past the outward routine, and he's looking at your heart. He wants your heart because it's a right heart that produces right interpretation of God's word. Paul says to the Corinthians, you can't understand the spiritual things of God in the scripture without the spirit. It's why the scripture makes no sense to the unbeliever. That's why Paul said the scripture's foolishness to the unbeliever because they don't have the Holy Spirit that helps them understand the spiritual things of God. But when you have a right heart, a new heart, like we talked about last week, and that comes from the new covenant, God says, I take your old heart out, I give you a new heart. When you've got a right heart, that, that's humble and that's submissive to Jesus and to the Holy Spirit speaking to you, that's going to produce a right interpretation. And then Jesus says this, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks and you act. That's why God's so concerned with your heart because it's out of the overflow of your heart that your mouth speaks and that you, and that you act. That's why God wants your heart because a right heart produces right interpretation and right action. You see, we miss the point of God's heart, God's word, God's ways. When we believe that God's ways and his heart and his law are about keeping us down, getting us to cross our T's and dot our I's. When we look at the law of God, the word of God, the commands of God is just trying to keep us from having fun. We're, we're missing the point. And I'm praying that right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is allowing you to see, maybe you've missed the point. Maybe you've been looking at the law of God, the word of God, the truth of God, God's ways in the wrong way. Maybe you've missed the point. And so maybe just to help you see the, the point, I want you to see what David had to say in the Psalms about the word of God. It's amazing, it's, it's incredible what David had to say about the ways of God, the, the, the truth of God. Watch this, Psalm verse, chapter 16, verse six. Here's what David says. The, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed. I have a beautiful inheritance. God, the lines of the inheritance that you've given me are pleasant. Like, like your ways, your laws, your word, your truth, the lines have fallen for me. And David says, they're pleasant, they're, they're good for me. David says, they're beautiful. The, the lines that you've given me to live in, the inheritance, the land that you've given me to live in is beautiful. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, God, there is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence, God, in your ways, in your truth, in your word is joy and pleasure, David said. Forget everything you've ever known or you've ever heard or you've ever told or you've ever grown up thinking about the ways of God or the truth of God. God's word is about your joy and pleasure. It's beautiful and it produces beautiful blessings in your life. Psalm chapter 19, watch what David has to say about the, the, the law of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving your soul. The, the, the law of God will revive and restore your soul. The 
testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, the, the ways of God, the truth of God. God's word is going to bring rejoicing into your heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening my eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Watch what he says, they're desirable. God, your ways, your laws, your truth are more to be desired than any gold, even, even much fine gold. God, your, your ways, your truth, your law, your, they are sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned and in keeping them there is great reward. David says, there's nothing but blessing and reward, God, in the lines that you have given me, in the inheritance, in the land that you have given me. There's nothing but blessing and reward and pleasure and joy. They are sweet and they restore and they revive my soul. Listen, maybe you've missed the point because the commands of the Lord are about your joy. They're about your freedom. They're about your flourishing. So we're gonna pray that God by his spirit would help us to believe and help us to trust. Maybe see that we've missed the point. And that God's heart for you is like a mother or father who wants best for their kids. So a good mom, a good dad will say, don't do that because you're gonna get hurt or you should do this but it's, because it's gonna result in, in your freedom and your joy and your flourishing. Your heavenly father wants what's best for you and his best is found in his word. Would you pray with me? God, right now in this moment, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you just convince some of us that God, your, your word, your, your, your truth, your ways, your law, your commands, they're for our good, they're for our pleasure, they're for our joy. God, by your spirit, would you allow some of us to, to maybe see where we've, where we've missed the point, where, where maybe we've had an incomplete picture of Jesus. I mean, even in these passages we've read, we, we see a Jesus that's exclusive when it comes to his ways and his truth, but it's so caring and compassionate and merciful to this man with the deformed hand in the synagogue. We see both pictures of Jesus, God, by your spirit. Would you give us a, a, a better and more complete vision and picture of Jesus as we study the gospel of Luke. And then God, I pray that today you would give us the humility through the power of the Holy Spirit to submit our ways, our truths to your way and to your truth. God, would you give us the humility to say, God, your ways, your truth are best. They are the way, it is the truth. And that we would submit ourselves to Jesus. So God, I pray that today, if we hear your word, we would not harden our hearts, but Holy Spirit, soften our hearts and tune our hearts. In the words of the old hymn, tune our hearts, God, to believe and to trust that you want what's best for us. It's in your name we pray.